Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on January 22nd, 2023. I want you to think about things. Last week, we talked a little bit about eternity, and I invited you to put your faith and trust into Jesus and, and go to heaven with us. But there is much more to the Christian life than going to heaven. There's a life of adventure of following Jesus today. And one of the most important aspects of that life of being a Christian is that we become part of the church, the family of God. Now, I want you to understand church correctly because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what a church is. Many people think of it in wrong terms. So let's make sure we get this understanding of the church right before we talk about it. Some people think of the church as just a business. Now we do follow good business procedures and we get in trouble when we don't, but we don't think of ourselves primarily as another business. Some think of the church as a club and there are some similarities. I mean, we have officers and we have regular meetings, but that's not the way we think of the church. Some think of the church as kind of a service organization. I mean, we help people. The truth is the church has helped and served more people than any other organization in history. But we still don't see ourselves primarily as a service organization. Some think of the church as a building. You hear that all the time. I'm going to church talking about the place. But listen, there's no mention anywhere in the Bible of the church as a building. None of the churches mentioned in the New Testament even had a building. So that's inappropriate to think of the church as a building. Some today think of the church as a political action committee. And though we do have strong opinions on the issues of the day, our role is to promote Jesus and not a candidate. So that's not who we are. And some people think of the church as an event or a series of events. I'm going to church, meaning I'm going to a worship service. We do have many events, and sometimes my job as a pastor seems a little bit more like an event coordinator. But that's not who we are, just an event. A good biblical description of a church is that we're a family. Peter calls us the family of God. I've been part of this local family for 23 plus years and during that time period you all have been like a family to me during that time period I've lost a dad a father-in-law a mother-in-law a sister and a nephew and you've been my family to help me walk through those things had a daughter with cancer another daughter with serious injuries we've had our share of troubles like any other family And you've been family to me. When I travel and when I'm not worshiping here, I meet, and this is the way I think of it, I'm meeting with my extended family. We usually don't go to large churches because when we go on vacation, we're usually camping. And so we seek out a church somewhere, and it's usually pretty small. I don't necessarily go seek out famous preachers. I just need to find part of the family. And I go and worship with them. And we've worshiped in campgrounds and amphitheaters and pretty ratty rundown buildings and some really nice historic buildings. Even met in a tent one time. But anywhere that we go, it's kind of like we're accepted as family. 
I want you to think of the church as not an event, not in a building, not a group, but a family. And here's the reality, and I know you have them in yours. Good families have rules and regulations, either written or unspoken, but this is how we do things in our family. I, I know you have them in your own family. One of the things Don and I first learned as a couple was that, that we kind of had to have our way of doing things, and then as God blessed us with child after 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 child, that we had to have some sense of rules and organization on how do you do family life. And we have rules on all kinds of things. Some of them we don't talk about, we just kind of know. For example, um, financially, we tithe and we give generously to other organizations and, and to people, but Don and I don't spend anything more than just a few dollars without talking to each other first. Kind of keeps the family peace and keeps us working together. Um, we have rules, especially with the kids. Um, when they were growing up, we had a, a dinner rule. And I kind of like to make the rules fun, so the rule went like this. If you don't eat your meal, it's no big deal. But if you want a treat, then you have to eat. Okay, you don't want to eat, that's fine, but you're not going to get the dessert. And, and that was one of our family rules. We have a no whining rule. You take your lumps and your bumps, but you can't be a grump. And we just kind of have these, you know, these various rules. We have rules that combine both the sacred and the silly. For example, in our house, when it's ready to eat a meal, we do this. And the last one with the thumbs up gets to lead us in prayer. Okay, strange, unusual. I can't remember how that started, but that's just one of the things that we do. Every family has rules, regulations, unwritten usually. But this is how we do things in our family. And today I want to talk to you about the, the rules and the regulations as given by Jesus for God's family. I mean, how do we do this thing called church, this family life? And Jesus gave us some very clear instructions on how we do this. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Let's stand together and understand what Jesus is doing. He'd been talking to the crowds and to the Pharisees and others, but here he's talking to his disciples. This is how we do things. And this is what he said. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, 
should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You may be seated. And I want us to kind of work our way through the passage and understand what Jesus is teaching us about family life. What are the responsibilities for believers? Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it's not just a personal thing. We become part of a church, both local and extended. The church we meet and worship with and serve in, as well as the church around the world. And so what are the rules and regulations and guidelines on how to do family life? And I want you to understand the primary teaching in this passage is this, that we have family responsibilities in the church. That's the overall teaching of the passage. Church is not just about me. It's not just for me. I don't go to church just to see what I can get out of it. We are responsible, Jesus taught, to each other and for each other. There's accountability and the necessity of rebuke and correction. There's love and forgiveness. There are chores and responsibilities. There's an expectation that all of us live a life that encourages others and models Christian living for others and sets an example for each other. That's not just my job as the pastor. That's your job as part of the family. Don and I, for most of our married life, did not live close to parents and siblings. And so our children had to find, and it was healthy for them, they had to find like grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and mentors in the church. And so they did. That's where people kind of, you know, almost like adopted them as, as, as grandparents and aunts and uncles. We even had a crazy uncle or two, but I won't give you any names on those. And that's one reason. Well, I've kind of resisted the modern trend to have children's church over in one building and teen church over in another building because I want us to be a family of families where your children come to church and they get to know not just people their own age, but older people who can help them, love them, mentor them. I want everybody in the church to know good Christian people of all ages that are outside of your immediate family. Now, I know the whole idea is a little bit countercultural because modern Americans tend to think it's all about me. I'll do what I want. Don't tell me how to live. I'll take care of myself. I don't care how you think. But Jesus taught that if we're, if we're part of his family, then, then we have responsibilities to each other. And that's kind of the overall teaching of the passage. We have family responsibilities in the church. It, it's not all about me. And so I'm kind of asking you to kind of adjust your thinking. You're not going to church just for you. You're helping others, encouraging others, leading others, setting an example from others, learning from others, occasionally being rebuked and corrected by others because we're part of a family. And so that's what Jesus was teaching. The second thing Jesus taught is Watch yourself carefully. And he's so serious about this. If you read the passage, it's really pretty scary. Listen to what he said. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. 
but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That is an incredibly strong warning. He said, so watch yourselves. Temptations and obstacles come to all people, but don't let them come through you. You will be judged, Jesus said, especially if you lead someone younger than you into sin. And Jesus said, I'm not just going to slap your wrist. He says, and this is serious, and you might consider hyperbole, but it's enough to cause us to think deeply about what we're showing to others and how we're leading others and what we're teaching others. He said, it would be better for you if a heavyweight were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. That, that's a serious warning. And so we ended up with, watch yourself carefully because others, especially younger others, are watching. Children and teens use their eyes more than they use their ears. They watch, they see, and they imitate. They live what they see more than what they hear. So preach love, but act like a racist, and children around you and your children and in the church will become racist. Preach forgiveness, but hold grudges. And they will become haters. Preach self-control, but lose your temper. And you're teaching them to be angry people. Preach proper use of the tongue, but use profanity. And they will be profane. It's true in the family and it's true in the church. So Jesus taught us, watch yourself carefully. Because others are watching. Others should watch. We should want others to watch so that we can model good Christian behavior. And I know the attitude is, you know, it's not my job to raise your children. No, no in a family, we all work together. In a family, we all work together. And so grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors and church members are all having an impact on people growing up in the church. And so Jesus said, Watch yourself. I had to, it was in a previous church, I had to permanently remove a youth worker from a church who thought it was okay outside of church to buy alcohol for the teenagers who had been in her class. I heard about this and asked her about it, and she had kind of a flippant attitude. That has nothing to do with the church. I didn't do it at a church function. It wasn't after church. This was just an event at my house. Listen, the church is not just an event or a building. It's family. And if that's the way you're going to show God's love by leading them to do something illegal and harmful, then, then you can't work in the youth department. She was upset. Her parents were upset. But had to kind of stick to my guns. No, because a big part of our job is not just to teach the Bible in class, but to show people what's right. And so Jesus said, watch yourself 
carefully. Because you never know. You never know when people are watching you. The first year that I was here as your pastor um, in, in VBS, you know, I'm, I'm always a kind of a silly character and I kind of have fun um, with things. The very first year I was here, I was a character called Camel Jack. Now, you had to be around pretty much 23 years in order to remember this, but, but I, I, in the skits, I was kind of a desert wanderer, and I kept talking about my camel, kept talking about my camel, and I kept saying, I'm going to show you my camel, I'm going to show you my camel, I'm going to show you my camel. And then on Friday, I had in the parking lot a llama, and I told the kids, that's my camel. Okay, they had fun with it, and they gave me a hard time. Probably 12 years later, a man in his mid-20s, to this day, I don't know his name or who he was, 12 years later, he came up to me, are you Pastor Jack? Yeah? He said, that was a llama, it wasn't a camel. (laughs) Now, as far as I know, I hadn't seen him for 12 years, but that was a reminder to me, they watch They remember. And so Jesus said, watch yourselves carefully. Because you're part of something big and something important. And like it or not, you have a responsibility. And I hope you like it and you take it seriously and you're working hard. You have a responsibility to watch yourself for you and for others. So we have family responsibilities in the church. Number two, he taught us to Watch yourself carefully. Number three, and again, this is very counterculturally. Jesus said, rebuke others and accept rebukes when necessary. When someone's sin impacts you, rebuke them. By all means, do it carefully. Do it lovingly. Do it sparingly. You're not the church moral policeman who's looking for things to rebuke people for. But Jesus said, when someone's sin offends you, impacts you, hurts you or your family, then it's part of the accountability process. We all need, pastors and church staff members included, by the way, we all need people who can lovingly tell us we're wrong when we're wrong. And that's one of the ways we learn, an important way that we learn. And the reverse is also true, by the way. We need to accept rebukes. If if you can't take it when someone tells you you're wrong, you have no right to tell anybody else they're wrong. That's part of our responsibility to each other. And you do it lovingly and carefully and sparingly, But there's a time to say, you're wrong. Let me help you. Let me show you. Let me explain to you. Let me tell you what I saw. And let me tell you why that's not right. That's one of the things you do in a family. It's one of the things you do in a family. I know in our family, it comes predominantly from mom and dad. But I want to tell you, I had grandparents who were unafraid to tell me you're wrong. It scared Dawn to death. One time my grandfather told her she was wrong. Um, but he did it in a loving, very straightforward kind of way that helped us. 
and helped her and helped me. And that's something that we need to foster in the church. Because we love each other, we care for each other, and we want each other to do right. Let me, let me give you an example from the football field. Experts, you know, the Arizona Cardinals are looking for a new coach. Experts are saying that the Cardinals need to hire a coach who will hold the players and the coaches accountable and that will build accountability into the culture so that the players even will police each other. Because without it, especially in the world of professional sports, the fame and the money and the applause produces arrogance and selfishness. And so teams need accountability. So does the church. Because we can begin to think we're something special, something incredible, better than other people. And so we need accountability maybe even more than a sports team. And so when we come to church, we're not just here to celebrate. We're not just here to worship. We're not just here to serve. We're here to build accountable relationships. You love me, I love you. So I have the right to tell you when you're wrong. You have the right to tell me when I'm wrong. And to encourage, rebuke, and spur on each other to live as followers of Jesus. That's a little different from the modern picture of the church as an event that you go to with thousands of other people and you just worship. It's got to include the accountability factor. We need each other. And we need to help each other. And part of helping each other is saying you're wrong on occasion. Jesus' family rules. We have family responsibilities. We're to watch ourselves carefully. We're to rebuke and accept rebukes. And then the answer to a rebuke is to repent of all known sins. Accountability is meaningless without a commitment to deal with your own sin. If a rebuke just makes you mad, you don't understand family life. If a rebuke just leads you to go find another church, then you don't understand family life. A rebuke from someone in the church should lead me to do some serious soul searching. Was I wrong? Am I wrong? Do I need to change? Do I need to repent? And then if so, God help me, I will change. It's one of the best ways to grow is to kind of see ourselves as others see us. They may not always be right, but it should always lead me to some serious soul searching. Maybe they are right. Maybe I didn't do that correctly. Maybe I could be better. Maybe I could be more like Jesus. Maybe I should stop doing that. You listen to what others say about you and you grow. And I know this is very countercultural to what, what, what people say, Americans especially. We are highly independent. Nobody's going to tell me anything. I'll do what I want, live like I want. But Jesus says, no, when you become one of his people, you're, you're part of a family. And there are serious family responsibilities. The fifth family rule is to forgive unconditionally and repeatedly. Now, now listen, I want you to understand this because this is maybe the most repeated teaching of Jesus. 
If we do not understand forgiveness, then we do not understand the Christian faith. And if we do not forgive, then we're not living the Christian faith. Repeatedly, Jesus taught this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, If you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a powerful statement. I want God to forgive my sins. I need God to forgive my sins. And I know most of you, you need God to forgive your sins. And so he said, there's a condition on that. You need to forgive others. In Matthew 18, Jesus taught us to forgive others, not just seven times as the disciples asked. But depending on your translation, it'll say 77 times or 70 times, seven times. Luke 11, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And here Jesus says that if someone sins against us seven times in a day, then we are to forgive them when they repent seven times in a day. Now, now do the math. I always think in math terms, so I kind of did the math. That's 2,500 cycles in a year of sin, rebuke, repent, forgive. But Jesus isn't teaching math. He's teaching us to forgive and to do so unconditionally and to do so repeatedly. It's not an option for the church. It's not an option for believers. It's kind of our, and it's got to be our default setting. Rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. I like the word. I know you read it wrong, but, but you said repeat, and that's part of what Jesus is saying, you know? You do this repeatedly. It's who we are. Rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. Rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. Rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. That's got to be who we are. Because as much as we want to be like Jesus, we're not yet. And so people in the church are going to be dumb and going to say the wrong things and going to act incorrectly, going to be stupid. And we need to be willing to say that that's not how Christians act. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. It's okay. I forgive you. Repeatedly. Unconditionally. When there is repentance, there is forgiveness. Then number six, Jesus said, use your faith. Now let me explain that, because here's what happened. After Jesus taught these things, then the disciples immediately said, Jesus, you need to increase our faith. They wanted more faith in order to live this way, but Jesus turns it in a different direction. He said, if you had even a small amount of faith, you could tell that tree to uproot itself and throw itself into the ocean. So here's what he's saying. Your issue is not a lack of faith. With even a tiny amount of faith, you can do what I've called you to do. I've talked to a lot of people who say, you know, I just can't forgive. Jesus saying, yes, you can. If you had enough faith to be saved, you've got enough faith to forgive. Oh, but I can't. What they did was horrible to me. Listen, as human beings, we killed Jesus on a cross. And he forgave even those who did it to him. 
And so we forgive. It's part of who we are. We have enough faith to do that. You don't need more faith to do that. Jesus is saying, just use the faith that you have. You can do these things. Forgiveness is not just a matter for super saint Jesus freaks. It's for all of us. That's who we do. And we have enough faith to be saved. we got enough faith to forgive because we have been forgiven. And the seventh family rule. Do your job. Do your chores. Now Jesus closes with a, a short parable. It's kind of an interesting parable. And if you carry some of the details too far, you're, you're going to miss the point. Always with a parable, you want to get the primary message. And the primary message of this parable is pretty simple. You're a servant, so serve. When you come in from the field, you don't sit down with the family and eat. Instead, you fix a meal and serve the master, and then maybe you can eat. Don't expect to be applauded. Don't expect to be patted on the back. That's who you are. That's what you do. You serve. Now, Jesus isn't teaching us not to thank others. He's not saying that some people, masters, are better than servants. He's preaching one simple point. He's teaching one simple point. As my believers, as my family in the church, you are servants. So serve. And in this family we call the church, we're all servants. We all serve. We all do chores. We all have jobs. We don't do it for applause. We don't do it for appreciation. We serve because we're servants. That's who we are, so that's what we do. And that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples. You're servants, so serve. Now listen, if you have children, but you never give them any chores, what are you teaching them? If you do everything for them and you have zero expectations for them, then you're just teaching entitlement and laziness. Today's church may have done that for people. We've taught people just, hey, just, just drop some money into the offering plate and we'll hire staff to do the work. So we've taken away chores and we've taken away responsibility. We've taught you to go find a church where you're fed, you're pampered, and you're entertained. Instead, we should teach disciples, go find a church where you can feed others, serve others, and do God's work as part of the family. And by the way, that's our strategy as a church. That's why our church has many more ministries than a typical church of our size. Because we operate like a family and we teach us that all of us have a job. All of us have a chore. That's how family life works. We're servants. So we serve. We're not participants we're not attendees we don't go to church we are the church and the church serves there's a word that I use but I always kind of don't like to use it and I want you to understand why you know we're all the time asking for volunteers we don't really want volunteers we want servants volunteers want to be applauded patted on the back hugged 
went to one church, and, and they must have had a huge budget because every worker in the church, every quarter, got a Starbucks card. They must have had a huge budget to, to thank the workers. Forget Starbucks, give me Folgers. I'm a simple kind of guy. But they built this culture where if you serve at all, you get publicly recognized. And I don't have a problem with public recognition. We do that from time to time. But I want you to serve not because we'll recognize you, but to serve because you're a servant, not a volunteer. And that's what Jesus taught his disciples. So these are kind of the, the, the family rules, the responsibilities of being a part of God's family. It's not an event to go to. It's not a building to go to. It's not something where I want to go and be entertained. It's not something that I go just for me. No, I'm part of God's family, and so I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to help others, and I'm going to do God's work together as part of the family. So how do you respond to a message like this? I'm pretty sure you can figure it out because I've been pretty direct and pretty straightforward. So number one, accept just the idea that you have church responsibilities. That this is not just a place to go to, but you're part of the family. And so you have responsibilities to, to others in the pew. You have responsibility to work together to do God's work. You got people watching you, and so you want to live the right kind of life. Accept the reality that church is a family and that you have church responsibility. And then number two, get a job. Do your chores. Now listen, I'm not talking to the select few. The old saying in church, and I've heard it with different numbers, you know, 10% of the people do 90% of the work, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. What Jesus taught is 100% of the people do 100% of the work. And, and, and so listen, listen carefully, look at me. Because maybe you seem like this is pointed to you. But can you answer the question or fill in the blank? My chore in the church is to blank. My job in the church is... Think about it. If you can't answer it, it's time that you got a job, that you took a chore. We got all kinds of openings all the time for servants. You don't know what you can do? Hey, set up an appointment with me, Jeremy, one of our staff members, and say, I'm gifted at this, 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 I'm talented at this and this. What should I do in the church? And we'll help you with that. Don't come to us and say, I have no gifts. I have no talents. I'm no good. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too stupid. Whatever. Because <laughs> the neat thing about the family, everybody in the family is loved. Everybody in the family can do what God has called them to do. And when we do that, we have an incredible church. So accept the fact that church is not just something to go to and learn from. It's not just a celebration or worship time. It's not just an event. It's not just a building. It's a family. And in the family, we do God's work together. So I want you to think about that, and I want you to pray about that. And I want you to step forward and accept a responsibility in the church. 
Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net, and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.